Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Let's go and have a chat with Mitch Kading from Zero Digital Media. He joins us on the Overnight Crowd. G'day, Mitch. Hey, Heather. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Thanks for the time once again. Now, we've uh, seen the back of the Ashes. Sure, it was a 4-0 win for the Aussies. So close to that 5-0 scoreline they so desired. But it's also a bit of a uh, moment of sadness uh, to see this series over. Uh, it's a great series for the Aussies. They got to discover the depth around the squad. Travis Head, player of the series, the arrival of Scotty Boland and Usman's back-to-back tons. There were plenty of highlights. Yeah, exactly right. As you mentioned, um, I think depth was, was the, the big plus to come out of this series. Obviously, not losing at home is, is a massive tick for, for us, but um, just to see you know, the next man up mentality. It was when Kawaja, when he took his chance, he took his chance with those two tons in Sydney, but the bowling attack, to think that Scott Boland uh, was, what, our sixth string option, um, and you know, just like Uzi did, he certainly took his chance on debut in Melbourne um, and really cemented his place um, in this squad. So it's going to be interesting to see well, you know, when we are fully fit, um, particularly ahead of Pakistan, that um, you know, how Justin Langer is going to kind of string together his best 11 with the likes of Boland and, and Kawaja and, and obviously Hazelwood coming back. And there still are probably a few question marks over the likes of Alex Carey and um, some of, maybe some of the other um, squad members that weren't used. So um, to, to really see how well our depth performed and even, you know, talking into Jai Richardson and Michael Nisa in their, in their hands in their short um, tenure throughout the summer, it was really great to see. Um, just like I said, some third, fourth, fifth string players really stepping up to the occasion when it mattered most in the Ashes. It could feel like some of the naysayers out there would say not a whole heap of cricket, to be fair, with multiple three-day tests, uh, the one-sided dominance of the Australians and an English squad that fell apart before our very eyes. Yeah, exactly right. It, would have, it is usually a bit nicer to see from five-day tests. And we did get one in Sydney, which was, um, I think, arguably the best test of the lot. Yep. Uh, I think many would agree, even though it was the only one that we didn't win. So uh, with the competition that came across, we understand the, the, I guess, circumstances that they had to come and, and live under before they could even get in their first ball. So um, it was difficult for them. It was, it was a horror summer for them. Um, there were some positives to take away, but there's a, a big drawing board that they're going to have to go back to and fill in a lot of that space because... I think they've, they've been able to identify um, what they need to fix, but I don't think the solutions are as clear as they think. Part of that further unravelling was the ECB's investigation of the appearance of the Tasmanian police at what looked to be a private wrap-up Ashes party with Lyon, Head and Kerry in attendance for the Aussies, Joe Root, Jimmy Anderson and the assistant coach for England, Graham Thorpe, all there as well. Uh, the media in the UK have gone with the story of Thorpe being a chance of getting sacked for his part in the party. Yeah, it was, um, I guess, the, the, the second part of this stunning story of, the, I guess, Australian and English boys having these breakfast beers on the balcony in, in Hobart. And to hear that um, Thorpe was actually the one behind the camera, the one that, I guess, dished out the footage um, of the five players in question, really um, yeah, put a huge spanner in the works of, of how this story, everyone kind of thought it was, you know, players celebrating and rightfully so. And 
permanently, like, I guess, enough for the ECB to, to come out and kind of, um, you know, slam the actions of, of, of those involved from their part of um, the group, just given the, the sum that they already had. And I think, look, the celebrations are certainly warranted, whether there was noise complaints, obviously there's, there's other things to look into, but for Thorpe's actions to kind of not only film it, but then obviously allow it to get onto social media and, and out in the first place is, is another thing. So to, to hear that his position um, as you know, assistant coach, as batting coach, um, in for England uh, is now you know on the chopping block. It's a, it's a massive revelation, and it's yeah, it's a huge twist in what was quite a peculiar story. They've had a summer of poor timing, and uh, this was uh, especially poor timing considering there was a yarn that came out uh, the day before. I think the video of fat shaming and a heavy drinking culture around this England squad, so just not ideal. Yeah, the, the timing wasn't perfect. It's not a lot that's gone right for the Poms this summer, and this just added to it. I think um, you know they would have been. Keen to get home, and, and who would have thought that a couple of beers probably made that that trip a bit worse? But um, yeah, I think that, that what they've, like I said earlier, what they've been able to take away is a lot of things that need to be fixed. It's going to be, I think, something they're going to reflect on a lot over the next twelve months, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, late next year when we head over there, and, and just how uh, tip top they're going to be. On the Aussie side of things, plenty of conjecture over the coach's position, the prospect of him being extended. JL himself saying he doesn't know where the noise comes from and a true great of the game, Ricky Ponting, has backed in his former teammate in Langer. Yeah, I think, you know, if there's only one person that's better at doing your job um, is going to be the one that's backing you in, then I think um, you're going to be in pretty good stead for, for holding it. Pond, yeah. Pond has always been highly sought after by Cricket Australia. Um, I, while I think he'd be... You know, huge for the squad that we have. I don't mind listening to him on uh, on Channel 7. I think he's probably the best pundit around. But for Langer, and to hear from him, to hear from Cummins, and to hear from just about everyone else um, that isn't Nick Hockley, it's uh, kind of fantastic, I think, for, for Langer to kind of get that support right when he needs it. As you mentioned, it's kind of funny to actually hear where this noise is coming from, whether, whether it's all external. But um, look, I, I can't see Langer not holding on to the position. Obviously, crucial talks are going to be underway in the coming weeks, and um, I would be very shocked if Langer is not coach of Australia um, by the time we fly over to Pakistan. We had the feeling that the series couldn't go ahead as planned with the border problems in WA and also uh, with the New Zealand team getting back to New Zealand. That would have seen the match moved, but the quarantine restrictions have become too great for the upcoming one-day series versus New Zealand. It's been postponed for the third time, I believe, as well. Yeah, it's, it's been a difficult one for, I think, both parties involved, given that you know, what's happened across the past two two years. Um, it certainly hasn't made anything easy for anyone. And this, this isn't, you know, a massive surprise, but it is a bit of a disappointment. I think it was going to be you know, a really stellar series. I think it's something that a lot of Aussie fans in particular were looking forward to. Like you said, after the, the summer we had of, I guess, lacklustre contests to come up against New Zealand, one of the best in the one-day format, and 220 format, um, would have been a really tight tussle, I think. And it certainly wouldn't have been a, a 4-0, 5-0 um, across the, the games we were playing. So to have, um, I think, that one cancelled was a real blow to our summer. We still get to play Sri Lanka, so there is some um, games on home home soil. But, um, yeah, I think just having that big window open now is is going to be um, quite hard for our preparations. How we saw that in will be interesting. A, a few floating around the idea of having Australia-Australia return is one I am very supportive of. Mm-hmm. But um, I think some players might be wanting a rest. Obviously, with a few going back to the BBL, it is quite a congested uh, schedule for them. So, interesting to see what happens. But, yeah, having that series cancelled is, is a massive blow. And hopefully, when we uh, fly over to New Zealand, there's, uh, there's no problems there. 
This is more of an uh, opinion-based question, I guess, or an answer for you, Mitch, but there's a perception around the place for teams and countries like Australia that all series bar India and England are less important. Uh, since the pandemic, respectfully, they've postponed series versus New Zealand, Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, West Indies, uh, Afghanistan and South Africa and got uh, uh, the India and England series away. So how do you read it uh, on the uh, surface of it all? Uh, it's a difficult one. I think, you know, it's it's always best to, to be able to play each and every nation, particularly in that top bracket, um, as often as you can. So to kind of filter and kind of siphon out some of those those nations is certainly tougher, I think, when you contest and you're coming up and wanting to kind of reflect on how you go against certain nations, um, it's not going to help it at all. As far as Australia, well, I just mentioned, with, with India and, and England, there's certainly going to be a couple of big ones for, for both formats. We have the Ashes again next year, so making sure that we're well on top of the Palms is always going to be key, but also having the World Cup, ODI World Cup in India next year is going to be crucial. So our subcontinent preparation will be key. And I think even leaving out the likes of, yeah, like I said, Sri Lanka or Pakistan, I think that's going to certainly hinder our chances even if we were to bump up you know, our playing against uh, India. So like I said, you really do have to cycle through more than just a couple of nations to really get that best pre- preparation, particularly with you know, all the World Cups that are certainly squeezed in from this year when we're at home soil to next year as mentioned with the ODI so um, yeah not not the greatest idea I can understand the logistics behind it given that you know we've been forced to, to move on so many of these um, you know, series and I think we're at the South Africa ones now book for next year and this New Zealand one alone is you know, up in the air so I can understand from that point of view but to really be able to as mentioned be able to have that reserve option whether it's internal whether it's external having those backups is, is definitely key but um, yeah I think you do have to look at um, the big picture and think about how, how to get that best preparation. So with that uh, Australia-New Zealand series being postponed, the chat started up around the place about a very sweet childhood memory of mine, the fantastic Australia versus Australia A clash as we used to see. It's uh, opened up a great amount of banter as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, everyone has a bit of a throwback, but in this case, <laughs> even has, um, how we're even, um, you know, how we've performed. And as I mentioned with the Ashes out there, it's, it's to put two Australian sides next to each other would be a, a stunning series, I think, with um, you know, the domestic quality that we've seen in the BBL even. There's certainly pushing home and home um, to have, yeah, one Australian side against another and, and whoever, how they pick them and if it's just the old captain's choice, um, it'd be fantastic to see. And uh, I think, you know, you'd get a pretty decent crowd to have, um, you know, all local players playing against each other on an international type stage. The Women's Ashes gets underway tomorrow. Uh, three T20s up first from the Adelaide Oval before a test match in Canberra. One day in Canberra and then two one days in Melbourne. Some terrible news from the Aussie camp as well, though, uh, with Beth Mooney suffering a broken jaw. Yeah, massive loss. And as you mentioned, three different formats. Um, and she plays a really big part in all three, particularly in the, the white ball. She's number one rated T20 batsman. Um, and she, I, I, I don't think we have to go into too far into how well she can hit the ball, but to have her fall out of that lineup is, is um, yeah, it's a massive loss with the time frame also up in the air to think that she could be out for the whole series and um, in each match, whether across the T20s tests and ODIs, is, is going to be very difficult for Australia. In saying that, our record against England is, is even better than the men. So um, while we can only hope we have that same uh, you know, next player up mentality in the Australian camp is going to be quite crucial because you know, I've heard some... Selection headaches already ahead of tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see um, how we shape our, our 11. But um, for Mooney to be out, it's going to be a massive blow no matter who we're up against. 
Well, I mean, they are struggling to uh, fit Elise Perry into the side, we're told. So, I mean, they've uh, got some depth there, most certainly uh, the uh, women. But uh, they're still somewhat confident Beth could return for the World Cup. It's not until March 5th, but pretty up against it, you'd think. Yeah, look, surgery on it, on it, on her jaw after a pretty nasty incident at training. Um, certainly going to need a, a lengthy mend. Um, you know, I would like to think she'd be in the squad. Um, you know, with the power that she can bring into, and I guess kind of just the, the poise that she brings to the crease as well, um, definitely going to be needed. And particularly if we you know, go deep into the World Cup, then um, she's definitely going to be called upon as fit. So I'd like to think she's in the squad. If she doesn't play in the Ashes, I think you know, she'll still get that time off. Uh, won't be rushed back, but you have to think she's. She's named. Um, but even without it, you know, we still have to back in our chances. We've got pretty strong squad. Um, you know, one player won't make this team, but um, to think that Mooney won't be in is certainly going to um, hinder our prospects um, atop the order. But with the likes of Healy, Lanning, Gardner, Sutherland, I think we'll be all right. Uh, the Big Bash League, we're getting to the pointy end of the competition. And, well, there's nothing more headline-grabbing than Glenn Maxwell opening the batting. But then what he did uh, next was absolutely top level, uh, finishing 154 from 64 deliveries. Marcus Stoinis, what a foil, 75 of 31. They set two for 273 in a record-setting performance at the MCG. Absolutely. I, I couldn't really believe what I was watching, to be honest. I, I, was, I wasn't going to have all my attention uh, on the game up until about the 10th over when I realised Glenn Maxwell was really just doing whatever he wanted all, out there. Yeah. The fact that he hit 22 fours, I think, really um, pleased his case as, as the type of player he is. We know him as the big hitter, four sixes, but 22 fours, he was just hitting them so cleanly, so perfectly out of the middle. And to find the boundary on 26 occasions is absolutely stunning. I think for my count, it was the ninth highest T20 individual score, um, both international and domestic. And then on top of that, um, I think the Stars are about five runs short of the T20 team record. It's absolutely fantastic. And as you mentioned, Marcus Stoinis, 75 off 31. That might, might be the most easily forgotten, yeah. 75 off 31. The fact that his strike rate was also higher than Maxwell's just goes to show you the innings that he had to kind of conjure the score. Um, but those two, as we know, the big hitters, and that was on display tonight. Stoinis, 75, and I don't think he raised a sweat, basically. Um, some of those sixes were just eased into the crowd. Yeah, the big rig, he's, um, <laughs> he's as cool as Cucumber sometimes when he's out in the middle. And I think with uh, a lot of attention on Maxwell, he was able to just kind of do what he wants, go out there, and he really tortured those Hurricanes bowlers tonight. I think they, they went through about eight bowlers, seven of which had multiple overs, and I think all of them went for at least 10 and over, as high as 20. So... Um, yeah, a bit of a nightmare night, but um, for the stars, it was absolutely glorious to see those two at the at the uh, crease. Elsewhere today, the Sixers put the heat out of their misery for the tournament. Daniel Hughes was player of the match for his fifty nine runs. The Sixers cement second uh, second spot on the ladder. Yeah, the, look, the Sixers one of the best teams in the competition. I think we knew this before even day one, going off their campaign last year. But Daniel Hughes, I saw he actually brought up. 2,000 BBL runs. He's probably wow. not the player you kind of think to have no. in that bracket, but I think he's just a serviceman for the Sixers and has been since day one. So absolutely fantastic from him. Um, and it just goes to show the kind of effort that he's putting in when you have the likes of Philippi and Moises and, and when James wins earlier in the season um, and some of these other big hitters like Silk. Um, Hughes is certainly one that, that doesn't stick out, but he, he certainly plays his role. And yeah, the Sixers have locked in their, their clash against the Scorchers. Um, so that'll be a great one to watch. Um, I think, yeah, the two best BBL sides certainly going at it both this year and in past history. So, um, yeah, great game for them to kind of cap off and, and, and ease into the postseason. And for the Heat, their season's already packed up, but um, 
valiant effort, but I certainly coming up against the stronger side. Cameron Boyce uh, trying to get his side over the line single-handedly. He was uh, the story of the day before Maxi went bang at the MCG. He took five, including a double hat-trick, uh, cleaning up Hales, Sanger, Gilks, Ross and Sams, and also affecting a run-out. That's some game, but the Renegades go down. Yeah, it was... Um, look, you talk about those names, it's certainly not a tailwind. No. A hat-trick. He's uh, <laughs> taken out some of the best in the, in the Stars squad, and, and to fall just one run short is... Bit of a heartbreak for him. Uh, you can see on how much it meant to him after the, the two years he's had uh, on the sidelines, and he really just wanted to get uh, those runs on the board for his team. So it's really um, hard watching that, but for the Renegades as well, that's kind of the season they've had. I think this year just not good enough um, throughout the whole campaign. Really struggled in, in really key moments, and um, yeah, I think they'll be they'll be back to the drawing board over the off season. Um, but a fantastic effort from Cameron Boyce. I don't think anyone should be taking that away from him. Uh, the top five locked in. Scorchers top spot. Sixers in second. Thunder third. Strikers fourth and Hurricanes fifth. We roll into the finals Friday. Uh, how does it work? Well, it's it's always a funny one when they introduce the new, uh, I guess it's like the eliminator and the, and the qualifier and, and all those. So the top five, which is always going to make it a bit funny when you've got odd teams. But um, I think it works quite well when you either award first or second with an early spot in the final. So um, between the Scorchers and the Scorchers and the Sixers, one of them will get an early run straight into the final in the uh, qualifier match. That's, uh, that is on, I think, Saturday night, yep. if I'm remembering that correctly. So the first night on Friday, we'll have the Eliminator, as you mentioned, against the Hurricanes um, and the Strikers. I'm remembering the... Yeah, Hurricanes yep. and the Strikers, and sorry. Yep. And then um, we'll follow that up with the qualifier the following night. And then come Sunday, uh, whoever wins, between that original eliminator and fourth and fifth, we'll play the Thunder, and then they'll play the losers of the qualifier on uh, Australia Day. And then <laughs> I think I've got all this right so far. And then at the end of that, what is the challenger, the winner of what you can only assume is second versus third, we're going to play first in the final on Friday. So <laughs> it is a bit of a puzzle to kind of get around sometimes with five teams playing and new names for all of the uh, all of the games. But um, it is quite a, it's going to be an action pack next week. Of action. I uh, appreciate the explanation, Mitch. Uh, we'll move over to uh, some AFL to uh, get us out the door. The AFL announced on Monday there's some new crackdowns around holding the ball and time-wasting for the upcoming season. What have you made uh, of the announcement and the proposed changes? Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. I think a lot of fans actually already thought this was the rule, that you know, ducking <laughs> and dodge duck tip dive and dodging is, uh, <laughs> was uh, already supposed to be ruled out and, and obviously um, seen as prior opportunity to see so I really think that um, just how hard they're going to be cracking down on this and, and from the start is, is going to be interesting. All we can really ask as footy fans is consistency from, from the umpires and from the AFL. So you know, I think the press is going to be on the ball handler. I think you know what that does about the quality of the game is going to be quite interesting to see. And I think at least the best part is that um, clubs have been given this interpretation at least early into the year and we're not refining or, or I guess, trying to judge exactly what um, the players are supposed to be doing midway through it. So I think what was it, two years ago when we kind of had that mid-season flip of how they're holding the ball rule was being interpreted. Mm. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how clubs have maybe adapt in the pre-season and just what happens in round one. Jordan Ngoi uh, was facing court today. We've uh, been following along with uh, the uh, sort of ongoing uh, situation with Jordan. Uh, did we get a conclusion of his case today? No, it has been adjourned until the end right. of the month. So um, being pushed back just a little bit later until January 28th. 
Um, but it does sound like his uh, charges are set to be downgraded, which is a big plus for him, although Collingwood don't look like they're going to be making a move until after that um, court case is finished. So his future is certainly still up in the air. There is some positive um, for Jordan Degoe coming out of um, this morning's adjournment, and sounds like a plea deal could be settled. But, um, yeah, there's certainly no saying whether he'll be playing for the Magpies or not this year. Right, so still no news on that one. A uh, great article uh, by yourself on Premiership Windows on Zero Hanger. Uh, what criteria was used to uh, determine the openness of the windows of different clubs? Yeah, well, kind of, yeah, running um, the yeah, microscope across all eight teams. So I think somewhat easier said than done. Um, yeah, we still have a, a bottom five bracket um, chain to, to the foot of the ladder. And, and you know, like the likes of Adelaide and Gold Coast and North Melbourne and Hawthorne, um, you know, still working their way through rebuilds. And um, to say that theirs is close is probably an, an easy option. But um, yeah, moving kind of across a few of those other sides in that middle um, echelon of, of the league that are kind of not only fighting for that last top eight spot last year, but even were strong competitors the year prior. St Kilda and um, Richmond were really the big ones to kind of come through last year and, and surprise many as how low they fell. I don't think anyone saw the Tigers finishing 12th. So their window is certainly still open. I think the Saints is still on um, on the open coming up. Uh, I can't say it's, it's a jar for them just yet, but I think clubs like the Swans, the Giants, some of these sides have still finished finals. But it's not quite open for them either, but certainly on the up. I'd probably put the Swans and the Tigers in that same bracket and then the Giants with the likes of Essendon and St Kilda and Fremantle and Carlton and these sides that didn't quite um, you know, break into the top five last year, but are certainly on the up and one to look out for in the next four or five years. And then obviously with Melbourne um, having theirs blown wide open and the words of Dynasty already being written and then... <laughs> You'll have Port, Geelong, Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs as those other sides that certainly have that chance um, in 2022. The Cats are an interesting one, just given their age demographic. They've been written out of it for probably the last five years, so it won't be surprising if it just stays open for another year by the by 12 months' time. And then West Coast are probably that other club that probably just have their window on the close. One last chance, I think. 2021 was certainly a slip up for them. They've got the list for it, but if they can stay fit, and they could be straight back up there. Well, I heard the Dockers in there, so I'm uh, happy uh, moving on the way up. Uh, we'll finish on some AFLW on the way out, Mitch. Another cracker of a round in the AFLW over the weekend. The league doing a beautiful job to uh, postpone the two matches that were affected by COVID, then rejig a new game within it. The fun continues this weekend with Pride Round, a uh, celebration of diversity and inclusivity within the game and the com- uh, community. An important weekend on the footy calendar. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a massive highlight for a lot of fans, and like you said, a particular community in mind is is, is um, yeah, fantastic celebration. And it's not only just about football, which is something that football does really well um, when bringing everyone together. So yes, it's a huge weekend. Um, to think, you know, five years ago when we had Carlton and the Western Bulldogs in a, a much smaller league, competing in that Pride game, that initial Pride game, um, it was a great spectacle. I think for inclusion um, for both players and fans and and those alike in the wider community. So to see how we are five years later, to have just about every club, um, you know, repping a pride jumper, but just but we know that all 14 clubs and even some of those expansion clubs certainly celebrating pride around this weekend. It's going to be a great spectacle as always. And any comments on the West Coast Eagles being the only club without a pride jumper for the upcoming weekend? It uh, certainly caught on fire on social media. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting call. You'd think that a few clubs would probably be better prepared. They have... You know, released a fair bit of merchandise in that area to support 
um, you know, pride round in the community. So um, they're, they're doing well in that aspect, but it would have been nice to see them wreck um, a pride jumper this weekend. I think the Giants are one of the clubs that won't be wearing it this weekend, but we'll have it next week. So I'm not too sure how quickly uh, the West Coast Footy Club can knit together a new pride jumper set for perhaps round four. But uh, yeah, it's certainly one that caught a few eyes. Mitch, really appreciate the time once again, mate. We'll keep up with your work across Zero Digital Media. Thanks again, Andy. Thanks, mate. That's Mitch Keating from Zero Digital Media joining us on the Overnight Crowd. So we uh, cast our minds back to the Aussies, a dominant 4-0 win over the England side in the Ashes. And we got in a, a couple of questions there around the new rules of the AFL. Jordan Ngoi's court case today, it's been adjourned further down the line. And also just a quick look at the AFLW Pride Round, which does come up this weekend. So plenty of time for your thoughts on the Overnight Crowd, 0433-98-1116. It's Paul Heath. Behind the wheel on the overnight crowd on SEN. And we'll be right back just after this. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.